want to talk to you about something that's been on my heart. It's a strong message. Uh, I'm going to be very f- straightforward with you, um, very honest. I'm going, to, I'm going to come to you from the scriptures. Probably won't be a jump up and shout message. I don't know. You might surprise me. But I want to talk to you about what I'm going to call midnight in America. And I'm going to end on a positive note. So, and it's all positive in that it's the word. So don't go, oh my gosh, I should have stayed home. He's going to be heavy. We need, listen, messages like this used to be preached all the time. So midnight in America. And I'm going to read out of Micah chapter 3. First two verses and then 9 through 12. And to quickly let you know, Micah is bringing a prophetic word to a backsliding Israel. He is telling them that if they don't repent, they're going to be judged. And he levels his prophetic word at three types of people in the kingdom of Israel. And I want you to notice that we begin reading, he says, leaders of Israel, leaders of Israel, you rulers. So he's, he's talking directly to the government of Israel and to the prophetic leaders, the church leaders, we would say. And boy, he's not out to win friends and be popular. He's giving the word of God. So let me just read it. And I, you probably can't even, make, well, some of you can't find Micah. Don't worry about it. We have it up here for you. But if you want to get in your Bible, it's Micah 3. First two verses. Listen, you leaders of Israel. You are supposed to know right from wrong, but you are the very ones who hate good and love evil. Listen to me. Here he goes again. You leaders of Israel, you hate justice and you twist all that is right. You are building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. Verse 11, you rulers, you rulers make decisions based on bribes. Now he goes to the religious leaders. You priests teach God's laws only for a price. And you prophets won't even prophesy unless you're paid. Whoa. I guarantee you there weren't any amens coming from the religious group right here. Then here's, Micah says, here's what you're telling the people that is wrong. No disaster is going to come upon us, you say. For the Lord is here among us. But then Micah sets them straight and says in verse 12, Therefore, because of you. Everybody say, because of you. Now, I want you to notice something. He's talking to politicians and he's talking to religious leaders. And he says, because of you, the following is about to happen. Mount Zion will be plowed like an open field. And Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins. Because of you. Everybody say with me, it matters who leads the country. Oh, man, because of you, because of you. Now, Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you will give us ears to hear. Lord, help me to deliver this word in love, rightly dividing the word of truth. And Lord, I pray that your word will illuminate, that your word will resurrect, that your word will encourage, that your, the, the, the scales will come off the eyes, and you will give understanding to your people, not only in this congregation, but also... Those watching by video right now and those listening by radio later, I pray 
that, Lord, you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see and help us to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell your neighbor it's going to be good. Perk up and listen. You're going to need this. Amen. Now, if you love the Lord and you spend time in his word, you have to know that America is in deep trouble. It seems like we hear of something every single day that grieves our heart, that shocks us, another step down in the decline of a once Christian nation. In a downward spiral, it seems almost like a determination to run against and rush against everything that God is against, everything that God can't bless. It's almost like a suicide wish is what it looks like to me. And I'm talking about where our national leadership is taking us and where a lot of America seems to be willing to go. The prophet Micah saw Israel as well, departing from the Lord in major and ominous ways. And in our text, Micah wants Israel to understand what what I want us to understand today, what the Word wants us to get. That though God is a God of love and mercy, He is a God of long-suffering, is He not? How many of you are thankful for the patience of God in your own life, right? He's a God of love, mercy, and grace, and patience, and long-suffering. But He's also a God of judgment. Now, I know we don't like to hear that in a politically correct culture, but you know me, I, I defy political correctness because it causes us to lie. It makes us lie. It, it robs the truth from our lips. So the fact is that God is also a God of, of, of judgment. He is. He has to be because he's a God of holiness. And because he's a God of holiness, he must judge sin. Now, watch carefully. There's only two ways sin will ever be judged. The first way is when God judged your sin and mine by putting his judgment on Jesus on the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took our judgment. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus in our stead so that we would not experience that wrath. And that's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment in time, in God's mysterious, unfathomable way, God poured out his wrath on the human race for the sin of the human race onto his son. But it's only good for people who put their faith in him. If we don't put our faith in him, then you will have to answer for your sin before God at the judgment bar one day. So there's only two ways that sin's ever going to be handled. You can let Jesus handle it for you by putting faith in him, or you can answer for your own sin when you die and meet God in eternity. And there is no other way, and there is no other type of person. That is what it will be. So as we look at chapter 3 here of Micah, he, he is dealing with the approaching judgment of God on Israel. Spiritually speaking, it's midnight in Israel. And I'm going to tell you, folks, spiritually speaking, it's midnight in America as per the spiritual condition of America and where our leadership 
is taking us. And I'm not just talking about Democrats. I'm talking about Democrats and Republicans. I'm talking about every political leader in Washington. Uh, We are not being led righteously. So Micah wants the people to understand that because they serve a God who is holy, righteous, and just, they, they must remember that the same God who loves sinners hates sin. And sin must always be judged one way or the other in God's universe. It must be judged. There is never a sin that will escape judgment one way or the other. Either the blood of Jesus, on the, what Christ did on the cross, will take that wrath for us, or we will answer for it, as I already said. The Bible guarantees that sin has a payday. The wages of sin is death. Sin gives us a paycheck, and the paycheck is death. It promises that the soul that sins will die. The Bible warns that every person who ever lived is going to meet God in judgment. Now, in the same way that God judges individuals, one way or the other, either at the cross or when we meet him ourselves, he also judges nations. We must understand this. The Bible is clear that God not only judges nations in the hereafter, but he judges nations in the here and now. You can read about it in the Bible. Read about Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, The Bible says that a cry came up before God. Something got so bad in Sodom and Gomorrah that it caused a cry to come up before God. And God sent an angel, or a couple of angels, and they walked into Sodom and Gomorrah and found out that it was true, that the sin was grievous, and you know what happened. God judged the twin cities, and they ceased to exist in a moment's time under the judgment of God in the now. In the now. The entire world was judged in Noah's time. The whole world was overwhelmed with a vast and massive flood. And Israel, God's very own people, his chosen, the apple of his eye, didn't escape the judgment of God as a nation. They were several times judged by God as a nation. They were led into captivity for 70 years amongst a foreign people, And all they could say is, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? They were judged when Jerusalem in 70 AD was taken over by the Romans and decimated. And all the Jews that remained from the Holocaust of that day were distributed and dispersed throughout the world for 20 centuries. God judged them. The Bible says the wicked will go down to the grave. And this is the fate of all the nations who ignore God. Again, the psalmist says, he rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. God's eye is always scanning every nation on earth and weighing it in the balances. And it may look like they get away with sin. It may look like they get away with a reprobate lifestyle, but they do not. God waits for that sin to come into its fullness, for the cup of iniquity to get full, and then he judges that nation. Now, as a student of Scripture, I don't claim to be a prophet or the son of a prophet, but as a student of Scripture, it's my conviction that America is already, right now, under a level of God's judgment, and that we are at the crossroads of greater judgment. And I've got to tell you this, this is sitting on my heart like a red-hot fire, I'm not just getting up here to bring a heavy word or, you know, try to seem spiritual or try to scare you. I'm not. Because, listen, 
the church that really seeks him will be under his protection. But we live in a nation that is departing from God with great rapidity. We're witnessing an unprecedented tsunami wave of moral and ethical collapse at every level. It's stunning. It's really shocking what we're witnessing. And the true crisis in America is not political. It's not a drug problem, a murder problem. It's not a violence problem. The real problem is a spiritual crisis. The the problem is that our country has walked away from God and from this, his word. Now, Micah isolates the cause of Israel's decline to three groups of people. And here they are, corrupt politicians, compromising preachers, and complacent citizens. He levels those three. And remember, he said, because of you, because of you, because of you, Jerusalem's about to be leveled. So there is fault. There is blame. There is a cause. The curse without a cause does not come. Now, I want to focus on the first one, not because I want to, but because I'm so concerned with the way our nation is being led. And it's being led through Washington, D.C. Corrupt politicians. He, that's the first group that Micah puts in the crosshairs. And he says, and I want to say to you, listen, whoever rules over a nation decides whether that nation is going to honor God in its laws because he was addressing the lawmakers. You politicians, because of you, he was addressing the lawmakers because they were leading Israel away from God as well as the religious people, as well as the religious leaders. So the politicians are the lawmakers. They, They are the ones who pass laws that we must obey one way or the other. So they can either pass laws that place a blessing on the country over which they rule, or they can pass laws that brings a curse on that country and that is instrumental in taking it down the wrong road. Listen to what the Bible says. When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. Anybody been groaning lately? I don't know how you could be a believer and love the Lord and live in his word and not be groaning these days over what's been happening in America. In in verse 1, Micah refers to two different types of government leaders. He, He first addresses the heads of Jacob. They were the equivalent of our senators and representatives. And then second, princes of the house of Israel were the equivalent of the president and cabinet in our country. In verses 2 and 3, the prophet Micah gets very graphic with what the national leadership of Israel was doing. And I'm going to read it to you. It's gross. It sounds like I'm describing cannibalism. And you know what? I am. Listen to what he says. He accuses them of plucking off the skin of the people. He says they eat the flesh of the people. They break their bones, chop them in pieces as if preparing them to be a meal. Let me put this in layman's terms. Micah is speaking to the politicians saying, you are fleecing, flaying, feeding off of, milking and manipulating my people for your own selfish gain. 
That's what you're doing. Now, in all honesty, I have to tell you that describes perfectly for me our national leadership today. I believe that the abject failure of our current Washington, D.C. leadership to do what is right and godly is one of the reasons America is beginning to experience judgment. Because of you. Leadership matters. The Bible is very clear on what God expects of national leadership. Did you know that? Did you know the Bible speaks to politics all the time? Let me just give you three things the Bible says every national leader ought to do. The first word is righteousness. You may have to look that up in an old Webster's Dictionary because I don't know if it's in any new ones. But it's called righteousness. Now, it says in Proverbs 16, verse 12, it's an abomination for kings to commit wickedness for a throne is established and made secure by righteousness. How is a throne, how is a presidency or a, a, a Senate seat or a House seat, any, politically, any position of political leadership, how is it established? It's established by righteousness, according to the Word of God. And the word righteousness also entails honesty and truthfulness. Proverbs 17, 7, listen to this out of the Message Bible. We don't expect eloquence from fools, nor do we expect lies from our leaders. Do you know that was in there? Leaders and liars are not supposed to mix. I, I read this week, some national commentator uh, wrote, a, a reporter uh, wrote, well, all politicians lie, as if we, that's what we should expect. I don't expect that. I don't expect that at all. I'm never going to say, well, they lie and we expect them to lie, so it's no big deal. It's always a big deal. What a lot of our leaders don't understand is that we want the truth. We want honesty. Can I have an amen today? What We want honesty. Tell us the truth and we will handle it. What we can't handle is knowing you're looking right in the camera and telling us a bald-faced lie, all the while assuming our IQ is not above room temperature. But it is. And we want the truth. I want the truth. I'm so sick of lying the second qualification for a national leader is wisdom. The book of Proverbs turns wisdom into a woman and gives her a voice. And I can't believe how political this is. Listen to what the woman, wisdom, says. With my help, leaders rule, and lawmakers legislate fairly. With my help, governors govern, along with all in legitimate authority. The returns I bring exceed any imaginable bonus. A true leader doesn't make decisions based on polls. A true leader doesn't make decisions based on licking their finger and holding up on the air to see which way the political winds are blowing. A real leader makes decisions based on wisdom. Amen. President Harry Truman wrote these words. I wonder how far Moses would have gone if he'd taken a poll in Egypt. What would Jesus Christ have preached if he'd taken a poll in Israel? It's not a poll or public opinion that counts. Truman wraps it up saying, 
It is right or wrong leadership. It is men with fortitude, honesty, and belief in what is right that make epics in the history of the world, end quote. I like that. But now, now I want to home in on what I believe is the most egregious miss, the most egregious lack coming out of leadership or out of Washington. The Bible says that national leaders should protect the weak and the defenseless. Do you know that? And here's where I want to linger today. Proverbs 31, 8 to 9 says, Speak up for the people who have no voice. For the rights of all the down and outers, speak out for justice. Speak up for the poor and the destitute. Speak up for those who have no voice. A leader is to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and defend those who cannot defend themselves. And folks, I'm going to ask you a question. Who is more defenseless and more helpless than an unborn baby? Can I say that? Who would have ever guessed even 100 years ago that it would be more dangerous in a mother's womb than it would be fighting in the streets in Iraq? Who would have ever thought that? See, I don't think, I think we have gone down so far, we don't realize how far down we've gone. Things that we used to be shocked at, we don't even blink at anymore. That's why we must be in this word. The only way to keep your conscience sharp is to stay in this word. We need to be shocked at what shocks God. We need to be moved at what moves God. We need to speak out about those things that God wants to speak out about. And he's looking for people who will do it. In recent weeks, there have been a series of indescribably barbaric videos released exposing Planned Parenthood's evil practice of harvesting, I'm going to say it. Now, I know this is difficult, but the church, every preacher in America ought to be speaking on this. I, I'm not telling preachers what to say, but I'm saying we've got to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Videos exposing Planned Parenthood's wicked, evil, indescribable practice of harvesting aborted baby parts for sale. If you're not aware of it, there's been one video after another. I think it's gone up to number nine now. now I don't want to offend anybody here, um, but I got to tell the truth. And if you're a woman in here and you've had an abortion, please believe me, I'm not coming against you at all. Our God is a forgiving God. He's a good God and he's a healing God. I'm not in any way leveling anything against you but I must tell the truth about this because it matters to God, okay? You see these, I haven't watched any of them. I've only read about them. I will not watch them. But they talk, the, the Planned Parenthood people have been caught on video talking of delivering whole babies to various buyers for various nefarious reasons as if they were selling shoes, proud of it, bragging about it, that they can deliver a whole baby. The news has brought the ghastly abortion industry to the forefront of public awareness in a whole new way. There are people that are just shocked this is going on. 
It didn't shock me. I believe this national sin is one of the top three reasons for God's approaching judgment. The three top triggers for judgment are going to be these. Abortion. Second, America's cursing of Israel while blessing the terrorist anti-Semitic nation of Iran. Because remember, the Bible says, I will bless those who bless you, Israel, and I will curse those who curse you. This current so-called treaty that our president is trying to pass has been denounced by Israel as being that very thing that will seal Iran's ability to one day do what they have promised, wipe Israel off the face of the map. We can't stand with a nation that hates the apple of God's eye, but we are. And the third thing, the national acceptance and celebration of sexual perversion. Those three things are triggers for judgment. Now, I want to deal with the abortion issue because here, here's what some of you are thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah, here's another preacher. He's telling me he's against abortion. Well, I'm not. I'm, 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 pro, uh, I'm, I'm pro-choice. And you can be pro-life, but, you know, I didn't come to church today for you to get on a soapbox and tell me that you're against abortion. Ah, but let me tell you why I am. And not why from my own reasons, but from the Word of God. Can I tell you from the Word of God why I'm pro-life? And why God will certainly judge a nation that doesn't deal with these kinds of things going on in it? I know he will, because this is what Israel did when Jeremiah was preaching to Judah. They were killing their own children, and God said, Shall I not judge such a nation as this? So, instead of just ranting and railing against it, let me tell you why I'm pro-life. The first reason. The Bible teaches that life begins before conception. So, no, you didn't mean that. You meant at conception, right? No, I mean before. God visited Jeremiah when he was a teenager, and he called him to the ministry. And here's what God said to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 5. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Oh, that's strong. In God's mind, get to this, your life began before your parents met. You say, how could that be, Jeff? Because our God knows the end of a thing before the beginning begins. See, you're looking forward to being maybe graduating in a year. You know what? God's already in your future waiting for you to arrive. It says in the Bible, I am going to prepare a place before you in the presence of your enemies. He's already got a blessing and a place for you in the future waiting for you to get there. He's there. He really is there. That's why I tell you, God never says, oops. And God never says, well, I'll be. Because when something happens... He already knew it was coming. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. In other words, your life began in my mind before your parents met. God tells Jeremiah here that God had been, that he had been intimately involved in his life, both before 
and following his conception. Because God sees the end of something before its beginning begins, God knew you and me before our parents first said hello. He told Jeremiah, before your conception, I knew you. I knew what you were going to look like. I knew how you were going to talk. And catch this, I had a plan for you. I had a plan for you. I knew your parents were going to meet. I knew what your DNA makeup would be. I called for your genetic code. I knew. So I'm first pro-life because to abort a child is to short-circuit God's divine plan for another human being. That's serious business. He had a plan, and it got interrupted. It got stopped. It got aborted. Now, second, God tells Jeremiah that he himself forms us in the womb. Before I formed you, in the womb, I knew you. Now, this is talking about after conception, during the entire nine-month gestation period. He says, during that nine-month gestation period, I wasn't off casting other stars into the universe. I was in intimately involved in forming and shaping you. That word form in the Hebrew language means to mold into a form like a potter shapes a jar of clay. And how does a potter shape a jar of clay? First, he has a he gets a lump of clay and he has a plan. He looks at that lump of clay and he thinks of what it's going to look like when he's done with it. So he puts it on the potter's wheel and the hands come in and gently and lovingly and carefully shape it and mold it a little here, a little there, make this, make that. All of the intimate involvement of God in that child's formation in the womb, just like a potter shapes a vase. He shapes and fashions it knowing what he's going to do with it when it's done. I'm making this one for this purpose, this one for this purpose. I know exactly what I'm doing. So that, folks, I got good news for you today. You are not the result of some cold, calculating, random evolutionary process. That's not what happened to you. You know, I was saying in the first service, no wonder so many people in our day are committing suicide, checking out, calling it a day, curtain down. No wonder they're doing it because they wake up and they say, well, if I am here simply by evolution, then that means I have no purpose, no ultimate meaning, no real reason, no destiny. I just happen to evolve. So how do I really matter in anything? But the Bible says you were carefully and wonderfully made, not carefully and wonderfully evolved. That's what it says. So according to the Bible, God doesn't see a baby in the womb as a fetus or tissue that only becomes a person after it is born. He begins shaping that child at the moment of conception. At the moment of conception, the child is his personal handiwork. 
You're custom designed for a purpose and a reason. And God don't make no junk. Right? Job said, did he not make me, did, did not he who made me in the womb make everyone else? Did you hear that? Did not he who made me in the womb make everyone else? Did not the same one form us all within our mothers? Job 31, 13 and 15. King David said the very same thing. Listen to all the you maids. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know. This next verse gets me. You were there. While I was being formed, I feel like I'm on holy ground right there. You were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born. You scheduled every day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. You formed me, knitted me, made me, knew me, and had a daily plan for my life. Whoa. So our life begins before conception in the mind of God. And at the moment of conception onward, we are his handiwork. Are you ready? So to me, to abort a child is to interrupt the handiwork of God. Can you imagine a potter? He's got a pot here, lump of clay. He's fashioning it, shaping it. He's halfway there. He's beginning to get excited. Oh, man, I know where this vase is going to go. I know what I want this vase to accomplish. And someone comes and pulls the pot out of his hands. And walks away with it. What now? It's gone. I've been interrupted. A third reason I'm pro-life, I'm going to close with this. Life in the womb is revealed in Scripture as being distinct from the life of the mother. See, we're always told by pro-choice people, who I love. I'm not coming against you as a person. I love you in the Lord. I really do. I'm not here to hammer you. I'm looking at ideas and conclusions. They say, it's my body. It's my body. I'll do what I want. See, but when you abort, you don't kill your body. I kind of think that you would abort the abortion if it was going to kill you. No, but you kill another body. You take another life separate from yours. You know how I know this? That the baby is totally distinct. It's a totally standalone human being apart from the mother. When Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, was six months pregnant with John, she received a visit from Jesus' mother Mary. And Mary came walking up. She was also expecting the Holy Ghost had already overshadowed her. And she was pregnant with the Son of God, and she comes and she, she greets Elizabeth, who was further along in her pregnancy, and when she greeted her, listen to what Elizabeth testified. She said to Mary, the moment the sound of your greeting entered my ears, the babe in my womb skipped like a lamb for sheer joy. Wow. 
Now, let me just put this in modern terms. Think of this. A baby in the womb at the start of the third trimester where they're often aborted was able to experience joy and to respond to an outside event. Oh. John the Baptist in his mother's womb said, Woo, there's the mother of my Savior. How much more clear could it be that from the moment of conception, a baby is not a massive tissue or a non-human fetus, but is a standalone human being that is the workmanship of God Almighty? So I'm going to sum it up. I'm pro-life because life begins before conception. God has a plan. Second, I'm pro-life because a child in the womb is God's handiwork, and I can't interrupt it. Third, I'm pro-life because the baby is a separate, standalone human being while still in the womb and has a right to live as much as I do. I can't take it. And why'd you go into all this, Jeff? Because here's our government. In light of all these things, and in, in light of the vivid, shocking, outrageous videos of how Planned Parenthood harvests baby body parts for sale, we have a Congress, we have a president, and a House of Representatives that could not bring themselves to defund Planned Parenthood on the heels of these revelations. John Boehner should have called an immediate House emergency meeting and said, we're not going home until we do something about this. Mitch McConnell should have called an emergency session of the Senate and said, we're not going home on any vacation till this is settled. President Obama should speak. Where is he on this? I tell you what. I'm ashamed of the Democrats. I'm ashamed of the Republicans. I'm ashamed of them all. You're dragging us where we don't want to go. Amen. So the Bible assures us, and church, I tell you before God, if there's not national repentance over the three triggers I mentioned, abortion, cursing Israel, and validation and celebration of sexual perversion, America's going to experience escalating judgments as surely as I stand before you today. Uh, it may come by economic collapse. It may come by foreign armies succeeding against us. It may come by the continual weakening of America on the world stage where we cease to exist as a power. But here's the fact. A nation doing what America is doing cannot prosper. It cannot be blessed. How can God bless this? You say, well, Jeff, you're preaching the choir. I agree with everything you said. What do we do? This current state of affairs, I'm telling you, will be turned not by a political election. We're too far in, too far deep. We're too far along. Politics cannot fix this. One thing can fix this, not by might, not by power, but by a moving of the Spirit of the Lord across America. That's the only thing that can fix this. It's the only thing. It's the only thing.
In Jesus' parable of the man who knocked at midnight on his friend's door, his friend answered and his friend said, what do you want? It's midnight. He said, I'm hungry. I want bread. Here's my word to us as a church. It's at midnight when people really get hungry for the real thing. I'm sick of fake philosophies and stale uh, worldviews. I'm, I'm tired of, um, of lies and half-truths and propaganda. I want the real thing. And they come knocking on the door of wherever there is bread. And if there is anything in Turning Point, there is bread. It's not Jeff Wickwire. It's not a name on a sign. But we preach Christ and Him crucified, and He is the bread of life. I leave you with this. Be bold in Christ. Don't be politically correct. Share the truth in love. Pray regularly for spiritual awakening on a national scale. And lend your hand to ministries that are taking the gospel to the world. Because in the midnight hour, there's going to come a knock. And we're going to answer. Come in. Do you smell the bread cooking? It's in all the ovens. And America, you better repent. And Washington, you better repent. Amen. Let's stand up together, can we?